Hi there, and welcome to this, which is our fourth uh, webinar in the Smart Building series for 2017. Uh, and I'm really pleased to um, welcome uh, Jim Lee today from Symmetrics, and we're going to be talking about creating transparency from uh, building analytics. Uh, is that good for your business? And um, the way it's going to work today, uh, we are going to um, present some slides. It's going to take about 15 to 20 minutes. And then afterwards, um, we're going to open it to the floor for questions. So please, if you do have any questions for, for Jim or myself, uh, then uh, please type them in and I'll get them here. And then um, I'm going to put them into the conversation as we move forward. Uh, a couple of other things. Uh, this We are recording this. So if you are interested in listening again, uh, you can find us on SoundCloud and also um, iTunes. If you search for smart buildings or memory, you'll find uh, that and you can subscribe with um, any kind of podcast um, software. So please do that. And also just want to say a big thank you to uh, Project Haystack for sponsoring our smart building series this year. Uh, definitely encourage um, everybody out there to go and look at the website, projecthaystack.org, uh, and simplifying data for the Internet of Things. It's a really interesting um, project. So without further ado, let me introduce and say hi to uh, Jim Lee from Symmetrics. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for uh, joining the call as well. Yeah. Uh, a little background uh, on myself. I am uh, uh, president of Symmetrics, which I started uh, 28 years ago. Uh, we're very active uh, in uh, BACnet, uh, early uh, contributor uh, in the Internet of Things, uh, as well as uh, very engaged in the analytics business, which we got into uh, starting about the, uh, the year 2000. So we've been actually selling uh, analytics-based products and services for about the last 17 years now in the uh, building and uh, industrial process arena. Uh, next slide, please, Anto. So what I'd, I'd like to talk about for about the next 15 minutes or so is building analytics, and then we'll look forward to questions and answers. If you look at the fundamental problem in the industry, there's really a disconnect between construction and operation. Financial interests of developers, engineers, contractors are not really in alignment with long-term owners and occupants. So the lack of transparency that exists in the construction process and the operation process uh, basically prevents long-term owner occupants from understanding what, what they actually have and what the problems are. And over time, that's led to an erosion of trust uh, between the uh, industry vendors and the customers. So if that's you know, really the basic problem that has spawned uh, the reason to be for analytics, wh why are these problems so hard to change? Turns out that profits in existing business models are based on this dysfunction. In other words, the industry makes more money uh, in a dysfunctional state than it does uh, uh, doing things the right way. Uh, for instance, facility management companies are often compensated on the gross operating cost of facilities. Uh, so they're incented to waste. Uh, building operations are certainly understaffed. Outsourced staff is undertrained and energy is too cheap to attract, attract the attention of financial decision makers. 
So what can we do about that with building analytics and really what, what is building analytics? So if you look at the ability to connect to existing building automations and submetering systems, uh, collect data either locally or to the cloud, what are we gonna do now that we've collected that data? We need to figure out how to turn it into value. And we do that by having a preconceived notion uh, about how the building and its mechanical systems work. Uh, there are different types of analytics that we can do, such as uh, statistical analytics, uh, models-based machine learning. But ultimately what we're looking to do is generate value for the building owner. That's the main goal. So uh, if we look at reducing complexities that we engineer into buildings, how can we help do that with analytics? Well, we can uh, look at the programming or sequences of operation through analytics and see if they're working correctly. What makes the invisible visible and the visible invisible? Well, if I'm collecting huge amounts of data, and this really is a big data problem with uh, tens or hundreds of thousands of points of data coming in in real time from the sensors and actuators in the building, basically I have a sea of information. The problem becomes how do I reduce that information down to something that's manageable. So all of these things that the building owner can't see using analytics techniques, both statistical, machine learning, uh, rules-based, we can reduce that information down uh, and uh, let people see what they couldn't see before. Uh, for instance, weeding out what's important, uh, things like reducing alarms uh, and understanding why they occur. And if you look at analogies to other parts of uh, uh, up and coming industries, you know, like uh, Uber or Amazon. This is, in Uber, you're adding a lot of value by effectively understanding where the cab is when it's coming. Here, we're giving that same kind of visibility into the process for the building owner. Next slide, Anto. So if you look at the real value for building owners, there's really, a lot of new value that's being created. But when we look at the baseline of analytics, what we're, what we're evolving from is a world of, of basically pure data visualization, where people through uh, energy meters, uh, uh, building automation trends, uh, up on, uh, on pretty screens, graphs, or dashboards, we're really past that stage of the evolution now of just trying to present information more visually to present eye candy, really evolving into a word, world of enterprise asset management. And if you look fundamentally at the kinds of, of analysis you can do, people often uh, fall to energy management as the principal value proposition for analytics. Uh, I'm here to tell you that uh, building owners didn't care about energy before and they don't care about it now. And uh, it is uh, quite challenging, in fact, to make a sale only on energy. But what's, what's really interesting is, is that if you look at the history of other kinds of enterprise management, uh, what is the history of that? If I look at, at IBM introducing accounting software in the uh, 1960s and 70s and inventory control, PeopleSoft in the 80s uh, and uh, on to uh, Salesforce today, you look at any of these enterprise value propositions that have been delivered, 
there's really no hard payback involved. Accounting helped uh, people understand their businesses better, helped uh, make sure that money wasn't being stolen, inventory control made sure that boxes weren't falling off of the uh, loading dock. But none of these things, PeopleSoft and HR, Salesforce today and sales management, none of them had a hard payback. They helped you operate your business better. However, when we enter the sphere of buildings and energy, people demand hard paybacks. So what's fascinating is, is that people are looking for hard energy paybacks, but ultimately only as justification for doing the projects with other goals such as comfort, compliance, forensics, vendor management, as actually uh, really being the reasons that people want to do this, fault detection and diagnostics. Next slide, please. So if you look at those future areas of value, uh, where we're basically trying to generate value that is core to the end customer or their business, we find things like quality of indoor environment, efficient, productive employees, uh, happy employees, uh, delivering uh, value to the bottom line of enterprises that own and operate buildings. Uh, a couple of examples uh, here in Boston, Fidelity Real Estate has basically said that uh, their principal goal of operating their properties is to maintain a nice environment so that they can attract uh, new millennial employees. So they're very concerned about that. And the uh, US General Services Administration actually keeps metrics uh, for comfort in their buildings and has done a number of studies on occupant productivity. Uh, if you look at increasing occupant productivity uh, 1%, it completely swamps out the energy budget in a building. So it's really fundamentally much more important. Next slide, please. So what's in it for the BAS industry? What are the long-term opportunities? What's the low-hanging fruit today? Who stands to gain? But if you, if you really pick it apart, the answer is, is that it's really about a focus on service. And if you're smart in the business, this is going to be a great business generator, a great customer affinity tool, a great way to delight your customers. If you're not smart, uh, you're going to find that this is a big brother that's going to disrupt your existing business. Uh, so there's definitely a right way and a wrong way to uh, look at building analytics and how to embrace it and get on board to receive that value. So if you look at equipment vendors per se, one of the great pieces of value is service lifecycle management. Uh, so that's the ability to uh, look at large amounts of data coming from installed systems in the field, uh, pieces of equipment in the field to uh, understand how that information can, uh, can help design better products, help uh, warranty, help things like uh, power by the hour models uh, or uh, basically uh, product as a service business models where the equipment is, is uh, leased or uh, different, different innovative business models. On control system vendors, uh, service lifecycle management and an ongoing chance to have a relationship with the owner. If you're just a control product sales guy, uh, today you don't have uh, interaction with the owner. Typically your contractors or SI channel does. 
but with analytics, this gives you the ability to potentially reach the owner to provide some value. Uh, software vendors. So if we look at the new class of software vendors that have developed to sell analytics technologies, they will basically benefit uh, by being the arms, the new arms merchants of the industry. Uh, controls contractors. Uh, this is a phenomenal opportunity in terms of the ability to generate pull through business, uh, continuous commissioning opportunities, et cetera. If you look at the IT consulting companies, uh, people like Accenture and others that have come into the business over time, uh, there are, there's really a, a great opportunity to sell change management consulting services uh, to building owners. And a number of others uh, are getting involved in this. Uh, Ernst & Young is another example of, uh, of, a, of a, a big consulting company that's looking at, uh, at the, these kinds of models in the space. Is how do you affect change for the building owner by helping them uh, reconfigure uh, their budgets, uh, their accounting, uh, their service programs, et cetera. But finally, the biggest winner in this whole sphere is service and maintenance firms, because what analytics will do is generate a vast amount of pull through business, uh, business, which is fundamentally the business mechanism or business process for releasing the billions of dollars that are tied up in deferred maintenance. In other words, if I can collect the analytics data and present it uh, both with uh, faults resolutions of the problem and paybacks all in a package. Uh, it helps break this, uh, this mystique of why, of, of the direct connection of value between deferred maintenance items and value for the building owner. So I think that's gonna be the most important variant. So if I'm doing fault detection in a building, uh, it's very easy for me to quantify what the fault is costing in terms of energy, what it will cost to repair, uh, what it's costing in terms of comfort or other issues, and make a business case to the CFO of the customer as to how to proceed. Next slide, please. So the value of the analytics of, for service, service and maintenance are the low-hanging fruit, as I just mentioned. So analytics are ideally suited to ensure uh, that a building system continues to operate well. And uh, fundamentally, if we look at transparency, which is basically gonna surface the maintenance issues automatically, as I just said, so that we can fix them. Uh, the uh, the uh, transparency ensures a lifetime of value for the capital equipment. Transparency is going to improve uh, resolution and promotes accountability. And this is the fact where if we look at the building owner, how does the building owner know what they're paying for in terms of the service they're getting today? The answer is right now they don't. And a lot of the industry is involved in what we call a, a service death spiral, where uh, the service companies that are uh, in place today uh, basically find that their customers cut back on the service that they buy. The customer sees no change and says, well, you know, I saved some money doing that. Maybe I'll cut it back again. What this allows the industry to do is on both sides, the owner's side 
and the vendor side to produce transparency, which is actually going to show the value of what needs to get fixed and what has been fixed. And basically measurement and verification for the things that have gone wrong, the things that have been repaired, so I can bring a closed end solution with transparency for the whole solution. Next slide, please. So just to sum up on analytics, it basically is a question of providing great service, which is basically the best way to promote your business. And uh, we think that that's uh, really going to be the principal role of analytics going forward. I'm gonna switch gears for a moment. Next slide, please. And talk about the role of BACnet in building analytics. And uh, fundamentally BACnet is much more than a communications protocol. It's a language with data definitions that standardize the physical world for the industrial internet of things. So people often view data communication protocols as just a way to move data around. But fundamentally, it's the context and the data definitions that standardize the physical world. And that's what allows us to do analytics. Next slide, please. So after 30 years of work, BACnet is robust, accepted, mature, and is really an enabler of IIoT analytics. And what do we mean by that? The Basically, BACnet is representative of a whole series of domain experts from HVAC, fire, security, lighting controls, elevators. People have gotten together basically over a 30-year period to look at interoperability use cases and design meaningful data definitions for integrated communications and analytics. So if we look at devices and profiles, uh, basically ways of quant quantifying devices in the field. What the data is on those devices, what the default behavior is of those devices, what the metadata is around those devices. Communication standard. I'm gonna go a little bit more into the uh, metadata components in a moment. If we look at the internet aware capability of BACnet, uh, with technology like BACnet Web Services or the upcoming uh, BACnet IT. These are ways that BACnet is going to interoperate uh, seamlessly with regular So there's a strong ecosystem and community and it's ideal for model-based analytics. So if we want to talk about some specifics uh, unbeknownst to many people, BACnet was approved as the ANSI and ASHRAE standard in 1995, subsequently uh, the ISO world standard. But there have been continuous innovations in BACnet that have gone on over time. So starting in uh, 2006 with the uh, introduction of the structured view object, uh, in addition after that, uh, BACnet web services. In 2010, the control system modeling language and uh, most recently, the BACnet extended data model called BACnet XD and uh, BACnet web services extension and support for classic BACnet. So all of these additional components to the standard have provided metadata. So now I, I, I know that I have an input or an output, a variable air volume box, a chiller, an air handler, a cooling tower, 
an elevator, whatever the device is. But I now have general industry consensus on what the data would be for a device like that. And what about the other data that's out of band? Things like uh, uh, horsepowers of pumps, sizes of ducts. All of the metadata that's needed to understand how we would do physical calculations and build models of the mechanical systems, the control systems, uh, electrical systems, et cetera. So it's having that richness of data automatically at hand, which prevents us from having to uh, rely on manually transcribing that information into the analytics software from as-built drawings and control submittals. Uh, I would also like to point out that Project Haystack, the sponsor of this seminar, uh, has a, a parallel and a somewhat integrated effort uh, where we have a number of the same people working on BACnet uh, that we have on the Haystack standard. So for instance, the tagging standards developed by the two groups are quite similar. Uh, but the, uh, the Haystack project and BACnet are examples of industry groups getting together to provide the standardization of things that the control systems don't inherently know, things that are in those as-built drawings. And eventually, we might see some kind of fusion with building information modeling uh, where this data comes together uh, so that from when the building is designed and constructed, we have uh, that metadata riding along, uh, greatly lowering the cost of configuring uh, analytics systems. Next slide, please. So just to sum up, I've uh, put together this chart, which shows uh, that uh, BACnet is really, really spans this area where I've got analytics and management applications. So this is what you're, this is where you're going to create real value at the top through things like model-based analytics or replicating models of the physical world. So we're going to leverage that BACnet point data. Uh, metadata, and we're going to look at predictive applications like computer maintenance management, fault detection, environmental air quality, vendor management, uh, etc. Down below that is a layer of information services or metadata. And if you look at BACnet itself, it's, it's really very rich in metadata. And it's also interoperable, so that the different devices are all using that same common language or that same common format. So if we look at the uh, context, the topology, the relationships, the structure, once again, this allows us to capture models of the mechanical world so that we can employ services. And finally, underlying that is the real physical network infrastructure uh, which is how the devices get uh, connected together, how data gets acquired from the field and pushed up, and uh, how we keep things secure from an internet perspective. And finally, at the lowest level, we have uh, automation, uh, input, output, control devices, etc. the equipment itself, uh, and there we go. Okay, uh, next slide. So finally, I just wanted to uh, thank Project Haystack again for sponsoring the seminar. 
And uh, I look forward uh, to questions on any of the above items. Thanks very much. That was great. Thank you very much, Jim. <clears throat> and yeah, so now we're open to the floor. If um, anyone has some questions, then uh, please type them in and uh, we, can, um, we can answer them for you. So uh, let me kick things off, Jim. Can you explain a bit more about why, um, obviously, you went into metadata and, and BACnet, why it's so important for the IIoT, um, Industrial Internet of Things? Sure, sure, Jim. <clears throat> well, when you're, when you're trying to analyze a system, a product, or a device, it, it helps to know the basic operating principle of that thing. And although the physics of the thing may be well understood, uh, details, for instance, regarding design choices made by the design engineer, uh, manufacturer, or contractor, those design choices that were made when the thing was built are critical to the analysis that we're going to do. Well, it turns out that the control system doesn't necessarily need this information on a regular basis to do its job. You know, a closed loop control system, a PID loop, running a variable air volume box doesn't need to know a lot about the rest of the system to do its job. So what you find is that information is not typically in the control system. That means to do a broader analysis, the data has to come from somewhere else, like those as-built drawings or control submittals that I mentioned. So where am I going to get the, the duct size or the size of a circuit breaker or horsepower of a motor, uh, size of a fan? Etc. So those those mechanical parameters are understood somewhere in the construction of the building, but often don't make it from the designer's board uh, into the analytics automatically. So by autom by automating that metadata, that uh, standardizing that metadata, it allows us to capture that information so we can create that physical model. configuring the analytics right yeah I mean that would it, so it makes in a sense a much richer data set which is more useful uh, I, I also I was intrigued because you mentioned uh, BIM there um, a while back as well in the presentation uh, and I guess yeah. that is that a lot of that information is stored in in BIM now with you know the the size of things and that kind of thing how do you uh, think, think that evolving uh, the, the biggest problem we see there is the time constant. So ultimately, many of these mechanical parameters should end up in BIM. Yeah. The problem is that the people that are working on BIM uh, don't necessarily have a complete understanding of analytics or the mechanical systems. And in fact, the data definitions that underlie BIM, called industry foundation classes, uh, currently don't have the structure or the detail of these things that we're figuring out in BACnet and Haystack uh, integrated into them. Mm -hmm. uh, and because of that, it's going to be a long-term standardization process for uh, these things to be developed and then adopted in BIM. Uh, but eventually, that would, be, uh, that would be the ultimate goal. Right. And that's when things can get pretty exciting, right? When we can exactly. take that model and um, use it. I've uh, got a question here from, from the floor. Um, what can owners and operators of facilities do now to prepare for classifying or tagging their equipment? Uh, I think that the, 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 the most basic thing 
that an owner can do uh, without regard to any of the new tagging standards is to have a solid point naming convention in their buildings. Uh, because if they start with a decent point naming convention, uh, it makes integration, uh, configuration of their systems much easier. And it actually allows us to take the points list from the building automation system and discover at once the topologies as well as the data sufficiency that is out in the system. So uh, a common point naming standard is a great way to start. Uh, and after that, I think it's very important to enforce standards in the construction process, uh, forcing controls contractors and people that are bidding on projects uh, to use these new BACnet metadata standards and uh, haystack standards. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Next question I wanted to ask was um, how specifically, I mean, we talked about transparency of data analytics. How do you see that specifically helping um, service in the building? So if, if you look at the service business in building mechanical systems today and how it's basically evolved into a low bid, low value offering, the question is, is uh, how can we change that business model? Now, building automation contractors are basically not allowed to make money on new construction. So the procurement system has conspired to drive the margins out of new construction to a large extent. So basically vendors are forced into a mode where they need to generate margin on service. And due to the complexity and opaque nature of building and mechanical control systems, I think building owners uh, really have no idea how their systems are actually running. So standard industry practice yields basically a delivery of, uh, of mediocre outcomes. And that's primarily due to value illusions in the procurement process. You know, basically people think they're getting a good deal out front but instead they've uh, put too much pressure on their vendors and are basically uh, uh, minimizing first cost today, uh, but uh, basically uh, sawing their arm off in the future where they're, where they're not gonna get value out of these, these, these uh, systems that are put in. But today's in the service industry basically uh, is well aware that they will make more money by fixing the same problem over and over again so ultimately the building owner loses. Analytics technology effectively provides transparency and visibility into the whole process, which is now gonna allow the building owner to see that service process in the long run and, uh, and get control over it. And I think that that will be a great equalizing tool. So as people see the faults that are in buildings, uh, they'll see what they paid for up front and uh, ultimately the, uh, the building systems and maintenance vendors will profit from fixing the buildings the right way. Do you have any examples of this happening now perhaps? Yeah, I think that uh, if, you, if you look, there are a number of uh, analytics companies that are, are now providing bundled uh, analytics and services models. Uh, where people are identifying problems and then fixing them. So in some of the uh, larger pharmaceutical companies that we deal with, people use vendor management 
to effectively measure the performance of the service contractors and use that, basically use the big data and analytics technology to benchmark or establish measurement and verification criteria for the contracts themselves. Yeah, okay, great. Um, moving on a little bit now, can you explain to me um, a little bit more about uh, models-based analytics and, and how that works? Sure. So uh, if you look at, at a lot of analytics today, analytics often use statistical analysis. So statistical analysis is basically just gathering large amount of data and running statistics on it often been used in, uh, in, uh, in uh, business intelligence. And it's, it's hugely useful in identifying what I call needle in a haystack type problems, where there's a, a piece of eureka knowledge that provides significant advantage to an organization uh, so that you can learn something and apply that, that uh, golden nugget to your business. However, you know, once you've found the golden nugget, the, uh, as, as an analytics vendor, the question comes up is the customer says, well, you found this great golden nugget, but what have you done for me lately? And if you really want to look at sustainable industrial Internet of Things analytics applications, if we use models-based analytics to instead track, uh, basically track complex systems, we can understand the operation of those systems as we model them. And as systems change, evolve, wear out, break down, we can provide recurring value uh, to the owner that can be determined. And that allows us to also go down and do root cause analysis. So it's much more of a, uh, uh, a causal kind of function where we can find the root cause analysis using uh, basically uh, model-based analytics. What we're talking about doing there is creating a physical model of the system, uh, taking real-time data from the building automation systems, sub-metering access systems, et cetera, and performing what I call a building emulation. We'll take real data from the building systems, bounce it against the model, and then look at the results. Mm, right, yeah. I, and that, I guess that could be done virtually as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, if there was more information, I mean, could this be used perhaps in a, in a pre-sales kind of situation where if, if you could understand their building, um, you had access to like what we discussed earlier about knowing a lot about what's happening in the building um, or then you could then apply a model um, based analytics to run a simulation and show them perhaps what kind of payback they would they would get. Yes, and and in fact, uh, I think it's it's even easier to uh, to make a rough model of the building. So by collecting the uh, the points list from the building automation system, and we can actually determine uh, with some degree of accuracy what the yield will be on an analytics case. So that will. We get the points list that will give us enough information to understand at once the data sufficiency, so where the sensors and actuators are in the building, as well as the topology of the equipment in the building. And that will allow us to uh, zero with or, or first order 
uh, determine what the value proposition will be in that building for analytics. Yeah. So models-based analytics can't happen without metadata. We need that good metadata and therefore BACnet. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think are the low-hanging fruit for non-service firms? What should they be focused on? I think that uh, if you look at, uh, at, for instance, equipment manufacturers, uh, you can look at, as I mentioned before, uh, new service offerings. So product as a service is what the category is often called now. General Electric introduced the term as a power by the hour sales. So instead of uh, buying a chiller, I might uh, pay for uh, chilled water out of that chiller. Or at, at, a, at a larger scale, I might just uh, have a uh, comfort performance contract on a building. Uh, but as a, as a tool for performance contractors or people selling things on performance, analytics are extremely uh, powerful for allowing them to optimize the value of what they're delivering to customers, as well as doing benchmarking and measurement and verification on that. Mm. Now, there are a number of uh, regulatory and contractual oversight possibilities that are, are useful there today. Right. So I was going to um, go on. I've got a few questions I wanted to ask about um, BACnet. Uh, but, but first to, to the floor, if you do have any questions for Jim, uh, please put them uh, into me now. And uh, we haven't got too much uh, time left. So now would be a good, a good opportunity if you did. Jim, what do you see as um, the, the future of BACnet at the moment? Where, where, where are you, where, where is it as a standard? Obviously, we, we said it, I mean, and it is quite mature at the moment. Um, how do you see it evolving? That's a great question. It's, uh, if you look at the history of BACnet, uh, it, it would be uh, considered in, in computing terms old at this point. It was uh, started in 1987. Uh, BACnet was approved as a standard in 1995. Uh, but I think that they, really important thing to look at is that it's really a living and breathing standard. And the real value of BACnet is that modeling of the physical world. It's the data definitions, the default behavior uh, that has been agreed upon by basically 30 years worth of work by domain experts in the industry. And that value will always endure because it actually represents the physics of the problems that we're trying to solve. Well, the underlying computer networking technology is going to be a story of constant evolution. Uh, so whether it's wired or wireless, uh, whether it's uh, a, an optical network, uh, ethernet, IP, we expect that to be completely fluid. And BACnet basically maintains a standards standing committee which effectively continues to innovate in the technology. And many of these uh, innovations that I talked about in metadata came after the original standard. And many of them have been introduced quite lately. So there's a, a really a tremendous amount of work. What I like to tell people is if you look at technology adoption in the building automation space, uh, the time constants are very long much longer than IT technology or consumer technology. So BACnet is really at the beginning of its run. 
And I think that it's going to be the dominant standard out there because it has such a large installed base. Mm. Uh, there are BACnet products manufactured all over the world. And the mechanism for specifying those products is a very slow and meticulous uh, engineering process, which is basically built into specifications worldwide. So I actually believe that uh, BACnet, just through its own inertia uh, and size, will be the dominant standard. And uh, one of the things that's actually good about that is the technology is actually pretty darn good. And it was visionary technology for its time. So things that only came along much later in other networking technology like discovery services, uh, who is, who has, I have, et cetera, uh, those concepts were uh, built into BACnet very early on. So it's, it's very dynamic. And the thing that's going to be enduring about it is primarily uh, those data definitions. Right. So do you see BACnet now as uh, an industrial IoT technology? Absolutely. And I think that uh, if you look at, at really BACnet's origination was in HVAC, uh, but it spread uh, largely to uh, systems like lighting control, security, fire. Uh, and in time, as the central plant services uh, spread, so for instance, uh, compressed air, chilled water, steam in factories, uh, BACnet is actually used uh, as a data standard uh, in the industrial and process world as well. Now, at some point, other standards uh, like uh, OPC come into play. And I think that there's a, a what you need is really an, an agnostic view of how to get their data. But people that organize their data definitions are the ones that are going to win here in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, right. We have a uh, question here from the floor for you, Jim. Uh, wearable technology has the potential to vastly increase the volume and range of data available to building systems. Uh, what impact do you expect these to have in the medium to long term? I'm sorry, that was wearable technology, right? Right, yes. Yeah, I think that, uh, I think that any data source that provide reliable and standard data is interesting for analytics, uh, whether uh, that data is wearable or not. I think that it's the, the beauty of wearable data is it allows us to study uh, the behavior of people in the building to a better extent. And as we look at value propositions that are, are broader than fault detection in the heat to real have operational value propositions. A very popular example would now be uh, people counting or space utilization in buildings. Right, yeah. Big uh, real estate consulting firms uh, use this technology to, uh, to figure out how to get uh, better utilization from space. I think those will be very important. And I think other wearable technologies, even when it comes to HVAC, will be important because, uh, especially if you look at uh, uh, at buildings in North America, uh, they're value engineered to death and uh, generally uh, don't, there aren't enough sensors and actuators to determine comfort. And we're better to have uh, a comfort sensor than on an occupant of the building. So I think it'll be very important 
the key once again is standardization of that data so that it can be broadly used. Mm, yeah, good point. Uh, another question for you. Um, at what point do you imagine it will be the norm for BIM consultants with this sort of really in-depth technical knowledge to be working with or for building designers and construction contractors on at the initial design phase? I think that's an excellent question. That's an excellent question. And uh, unfortunately, one I don't really know the answer to. What I, I would like it to be uh, sooner rather than later. And I've had uh, a number of conversations with, with people in the field on it. People are aware of uh, the opportunities, uh, but I don't, see, uh, I don't see a rapid convergence right now. Mm. So what I, what I would say there is uh, if somebody is aware of, uh, of actual activity that's going on there to, uh, to look at putting some of these metadata standards into uh, industry foundation classes or uniting those data sets, I think that I would like to hear about it. Right. But I'm not aware of the, the other than general discussions, uh, I am not aware of uh, any active coordination there right now. What, what I have seen, this isn't really BIM consultants, but I have seen more, and I, and I think this you know, plays into some of the, what we've talked about in our research, is a role for a master systems integrator or, or somebody with a lot of technical experience to, to sit with the design team on new construction projects. Uh, and they can really add value. Um, and as you, uh, as you rightly said, a lot of the time, things do get engineered out of, uh, of new construction projects, which is a real missed opportunity, I think, for, for technology. I think, that's a, I think that's an excellent start. And if that, if that consultant at the, at the beginning of the construction process could uh, make people better aware of the life cycle trade-offs they're making, as well as enforce these simple things that are effectively of almost no cost at the beginning of the project, like standard point naming conventions, uh, like uh, basically electronic retention of, uh, of metadata from these designs, uh, that would be extremely powerful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What about um, buildings with current non-BACnet devices? Uh, what would be the best way for them to do analytics, do you think? I think uh, most of the buildings, uh, if you really look at the building stock in North America, there are about 5.6 million commercial buildings. And although uh, BACnet has been around for a long time, uh, most of the building stock is still not BACnet. But the beauty of the way the world has evolved is uh, that most building automation companies uh, provided at least a BACnet gateway at the top of their architectures. And having that gateway is, uh, is very useful and important. If I were to buy it from the controls manufacturer directly, I'm in uh, much better shape because that gateway is more likely to seamlessly evolve and work with their system. Uh, if there is no BACnet option available or upgrade available from the control system, uh, the, uh, the next uh, best thing to do is to look at a gateway technology. And that gateway technology is going to be a little lossy, but uh, it still can often collect that information uh, and deliver it into a form where it can be used. 
we don't absolutely need BACnet to do analytics. Uh, in the industrial and process world, uh, OPC is a very uh, uh, often uh, used standard. Uh, we can do analytics from uh, SNMP data, from uh, computer air conditioners, uninterruptible power supplies, PDUs, uh, any industrial and process equipment, uh, including proprietary protocols, uh, Allen Bradley protocols, Siemens protocols. The data can be gatewayed and collected. It just introduces more work in the translation and setup, which damages the value proposition by, by raising the configuration cost. Right. But it's, it's possible to use non-BACnet sources. Yeah, good. One of the things that, that really um, stood out to me in your presentation was when you were talking about you know, the, the building owner's incentive. And, and obviously, as, as you rightly said, a lot of what the industry has done is try to sell energy savings. But now, and then you, you talk to this about this, this more sort of retention of staff, how companies are looking at that, how, how to provide um, a, a great working environment, um, you know, really investing in their people capital. Do you see that as um, a, a trend that, that, that's, that's really happening now in real estate? Uh, I, think, uh, I think it is the beginning of a trend. Uh, the thing that uh, that strikes me is that if you if you go back to this common idea that the best value that we can present to a building owner is something that is relevant to that building owner's interest. Mm. If the owner happens to be a real estate investment trust and they're leasing office space, uh, what is in their best interest? And I think we'd have to tease that apart a little bit. Yeah, uh, but be a different best interest than a Fortune 100 uh, corporate real estate portfolio, where the best interest uh, may be in alignment with employee retention. Maybe it's uh, on the REIT side, it's minimization of cost. Uh, maybe it's the improvement of, of asset value. But I think we have to dig down. So let's look at healthcare for a minute. If we look at healthcare, do, do people running uh, hospitals care a lot about energy? Well, they use quite a bit of it, so they care a little bit. But what they really care about is compliance. Uh, in the United States, we have the Joint Commission, which does regulatory uh, oversight of healthcare. And uh, if you're not maintaining the right number of air changes per hour, and if you're blowing germs from you know one infectious disease ward to another, that's a really serious core problem to their business. So that adds a lot higher value than potentially just pure energy savings. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great example. Um, so it, it's really dependent. I mean, this is one of the, the, the tricks, isn't it, of the, the building industry, construction, real estate, is that there isn't one, one solution for everything, right? It's, uh, it's about who operates the building, what it's used for, who owns it. Um, and it quite, can get quite complicated, right, contractually. Very much so. Very much. Uh, one final question from me I wanted to ask. Um, it's sort of the, some of the new technologies that you see coming through um, and how you think they might impact on um, building analytics. Uh, for one, augmented reality. How do you see that um, affecting analytics? I think there's a very natural fit 
So if you look at uh, the broader uh, industrial internet of things, there's a, a big push on augmented reality or AR as it's seen now. And it's actually just, uh, I view it as just a user interface tool, uh, which will aid the end user in solving problems. So for instance, if someone goes out to maintain a chiller uh, and they're able to use augmented reality tools, the augmented reality will give them a, a visualization of the chiller and potentially uh, what's wrong uh, with that device. So I, I see it as, as being uh, useful. Uh, I think that the the biggest thing is is it's uh it's it's eye candy which could make the uh, make the field sexy enough to garner some interest. I think that that's its biggest uh, advantage. The biggest advantage of AR right. is that it uh, it provides the slickness that uh, you don't often get in the mechanical room uh, on its own. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, and I've seen some um, interesting kind of. Uh, use case or videos where they have done exactly that sort of a facilities manager taking an iPad to the plant room being and then being able and then information being um, superimposed on that image and then they can see uh, what type of um, problems there are with the different um, the, the different mechanical systems um, quite uh, compelling absolutely and I, I think it's it's I think that's going to be more discontinuous to the uh uh, user experience and user interface world than it will be to analytics, but I see analytics as actually providing the meat uh, to to drive AR. Right, and and how does think technology like that sort of change the role of, of facilities manager? Seems to me that that's some something that 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 is uh, could be quite a profound change. I think so, and I think that if you look at the role of facilities manager today, it's it's changing very rapidly. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of outsourcing going on uh, in in all fields uh, that we see. And the outsourcing, there there are two major trends. One is outsourcing, and the other is aging of the workforce. So it's very hard for people to maintain uh, the staff with the knowledge to maintain these systems. Uh, as that uh, becomes more and more the case, you see more and more outsourcing. And in any outsourcing situation, an agency problem develops where the interests of the outsourcer might not be completely aligned with the interests of the owner. Uh, so understanding, you know, who the facility manager really works for is, I think, the, the most important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent point. And again, goes back to some of the things you talked about at the start of the presentation. Well, that's pretty much all we've got time for. Um, I just want to say that that was really, really interesting, Jim. I really appreciate you taking the time today to uh, to go through that with us. Well, thank you very much, Jim. And I'd, I'd like to once again thank the Project Haystack folks. And I would also like to uh, thank the audience for uh, taking the time to hear me out. Yeah. Thanks very much. Absolutely, and I echo those uh, those points as well. A uh, couple of things I wanted to mention. Um, first of all, we have a uh, upcoming webinar for May, which is going to be discussing uh, video surveillance, uh, IP video uh, trends in that market, and that's with Frederick Nielsen. He's the uh, general manager for Axis Communications, uh, one of the leading uh, camera manufacturers. 
uh, and uh, that's that's going to be super interesting. That's that's on the seventeenth of May, so I'll be sending out more information on that. Uh, and also, of course, uh, all of the uh, information that we've gone through today, so the slides and the audio, I'm going to put that up on our website. Uh, so uh, please uh, go and, and check that out when uh, when you get time, or if you want to listen again. Uh, also. Uh, as I said at the start, that we uh, are going to publish this the podcast, so you can uh, download it to your phone, listen to it uh, on uh, on the bus, on uh, wherever you want. That, so that's available on SoundCloud and uh, iTunes. Uh, yeah, and of course, if you want more information about um, memory and what we do and our research, then please go to the website memory.com. So thanks very much, and uh, see you next month. Bye bye.